Hi all, we wanted to give a little bit of a content warning before you dive into this episode. First of all, if you want to avoid hearing four minutes of us goofing around, feel free to skip ahead a bit. Second, there are various points in this episode where we reference a debate in the BTW community that's happening right now, and that is more or less centered around transphobia. While we don't explicitly repeat any of the transphobic statements being made, we do make reference to them. And so if that's potentially upsetting to you, we wanted to make you aware. Also, this is part one of a two-part episode where we're trying to provide some context for an upcoming episode on polarity. In that episode, we will be diving much more deeply into these issues around the gender binary and so on. With all of that having been said, we hope that you enjoy this episode. The intro order where it says, hi, I'm... um... Peter's in the wrong place. He can't be in the middle if he's running the episode. I just realized that. It would have been awkward. Hi, I'm Peter. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Two helpers of Peter and his white legs. Can I just add, like, I wasn't making fun of your legs. I thought your legs looked very nice in shorts, in a non-creepy way. Oh, I'm making it worse. (laughs) I'm pretty sure that he said they were (laughs) oath-bound. Only in circle. You do not speak of Peter's legs outside of witchcraft circles. <laughs> There's a part of me that wants to keep this in as like an intro because we always seem to have a like a oh, mini was... conversation. Yeah, I was going before. to. Oh, okay. <laughs> All of Wickham. I think I'm like being creepy. It's not about you, it's about friend. Peter's legs. <laughs> yeah, this isn't about you, Josie. All right, it's not about you, it's about my legs. Fine. <laughs> All I'm saying is that we're going to have to have a leg check at some point when we talk about everyone's. Just because we are a religion of equality. <laughs> Everybody gets to <a> go. <laughs> Polarity of the left Polarity. leg and the, and the right we, leg. We don't exclude anyone. I mean, this, this is a good in, I think. <laughs> oh, this is going well. You know, they make iced coffee too, Peter, if it's, uh, it's awful hot there for you to be drinking. Yeah. But the iced coffee is so far away from me. I can't be bothered to drive to it. So I'm just going to have hot coffee and just be like, it's so warm. It's mm. so warm. Yeah, Warmer fair. than usual, guys. That are listening. Can I, um, word to the wise from an Australian, you need plastic chair, put in the shower, shower beer. Mm. Uh, After a hot day, shower beer, very cold mm-hmm. beer in shower. So I don't know how common it is amongst everybody else in the world, but most i i say most this is not true but at least for me um every house i've lived in the shower is in the bath i don't know whether lots and lots of people have a separate shower and bath i don't think my bath is big enough to hold a plastic chair sometimes the bath isn't big enough to hold me i mean how am i going to get myself and a chair in there? <laughs> okay. well, no we have like a separate shower at our place i grew up in the south without ac and my parents didn't get ac till i moved out set a fan up get a little spray bottle mister and just sit in front of that bitch and occasionally spray it into the wind and let it mist you. Mm-hmm. Level up, mm. wet towel as a blanket. That, a yeah, that too? Mm-hmm. I've recently come from a trip on, pa- on Paris, in Paris, from Paris, and it was so hot. Um, I remember that Josie gave some of these tips in, in somewhere else, and I was like, yes, I will do this. So I got up and it was like 1 a.m., had one of those little hand towels, which is actually big enough to cover me, and that's how small I am, and wetted it and put it on my face, on my head, on my neck, on my back, on my stomach. I was like, this is heaven. <laughs> you are welcome. Wait, should we keep this in? Because this sounds like oral law, TM. 
don't tell the non-initiates this law. <laughs> we might rub up the wrong way some of the traditions of the Wicca. Tongue in cheek. <laughs> you don't 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 wave your head at me. Shame, shame. That was no. like that was a total teacher move then. Just like <laughs> no, <laughs> stop talking, Peter. <laughs> I'm just trying to keep keep the practice up for when I go back. You know. You ready? Oh wait, is this me? Yeah. Oh no, I thought I was doing the the Lunas and the Lamas one. You I read the wrong. Sitting here waiting for you. Oh, You've been I'm prepping like... the wrong outline. No, this is not good. Oh my word. Okay, right. Let me get into it. Hail and welcome to Circle Talk, everybody. A podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious by four Alexandrian witches with endless different opinions. We are your hosts. Hi, I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the U.S. Hi, I'm Jane a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm JC, a high priestess and coven leader outside of Melbourne, Australia. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. And apparently, I don't know what episode we're doing today. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. So uh, just to remind our listeners, we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore different opinions on how the tradition, the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. We want to remind listeners that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not for the tradition as a whole, which is an impossible thing to do. This is episode 15. If this is your first episode, welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions. We'll check them out after you enjoy this one. It's going to be a meaty one. So today's topic, we will be looking at addressing some of the current debates and uh, issues, maybe is the wrong word, uh, in some corners of the British traditional Wiccan witchcraft community, uh, particularly in the US and in the in America and the States. We'll be doing this in two parts. It's a two-parter. This episode is the first part where we are going to discuss Wicca as a mystery tradition. What are we hiding apart from legs? I was going to say legs. Oh. Well, there we go. I, I jumped straight in, in, in there. So really, just as, as an overview, what we're talking about today is a debate that is going on. If any of our listeners hang around, maybe the Seekers pages or Initiate pages, there's a big debate at the moment going around um, about inclusivity and who we include, who we don't include and why. And maybe the bulk of that conversation is about people who don't necessarily fit into others traditional echoes and um, traditional opinions and views on what maybe should be accepted in Wicca and this could include those who are trans or who are not binary or people who just don't necessarily fit the mold um not not my quote but others and most of this seems to be happening across the pond in America um but that's not to say that there are others who don't necessarily hold those um, other opinions. Okay, so if we if we want to kick off with what is what is a mystery tradition? What do we think a mystery tradition is? For me, a mystery tradition is a tradition where um, where you need you need to go through something in order to gain whatever that mystery is. For me, that is initiation. You go through initiation. Everybody of the Wicca goes through an initiation in order to gain that one of those first mysteries. Now. We could throw around the word gatekeeping. We could throw around the word of 
you know, those who keep the knowledge or the secrets. But I suppose, I know we've spoken about this in previous episodes, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that initiatory wicca is gatekeeping because initiatory wicca is, is open to all. And that's a theme that we're going to come back to, I think, a lot of the time in this episode. But yeah, a mystery tradition is one where um, you have to go through something in order to gain it, but it is open to everybody. I would agree with that. I think I think another aspect of mystery traditions is that you continue exploring the mystery. So the mystery is never, I think, cannot be fully known. There's a large part of the mystery that has to be experienced. It's kind of exploring ineffable yeah. ideas. Um, and so like when we talk about mystery, it's not like somebody can, in a mystery tradition, people can't write out the mystery or even if you write out the mystery and i'll give an example like when we get to the next bullet point um saying the words that are the mystery doesn't fully give you an understanding if that makes sense right there's something like really yeah like yeah. like driving a car reading a reading how to drive a car is not the same as driving a car you know you can read about how an engine works or how to drive a car but until you do you're never actually going to experience what it is like to do that thing Mm, and you can read other people's experiences of driving a car, but yours will Right, yeah, um, exactly. I think you're so right, G. I think this whole idea of a mystery tradition and the mysteries being something like, yeah, you're initiated into them, but that's not it. Like, it's not like, oh, on the night of your initiation, someone doesn't walk up and go, hey, have a look at this. And then you're like, oh, I have it all. That's it. Um, you're always learning and experiencing. It's a, it's a lifelong so I like that y'all keep saying experience because that's really what it comes down to is a mystery tradition's experiential. It's it's not a academic pursuit as much as we attempt to make it academic because it's based on what you experience. And as far as the Wicca goes, it's a specific set of mysteries. The problem is when you try to define that because it's experiential. There are many mysteries, and many of those exist outside the context of the Wicca. Um, but our rites are set up to experience the mysteries of the Wicca. Okay, now the term mystery tradition is not a term that is just confined to Wicca. Where do we see, where do we see in past, in history, that the term mystery tradition has been used? Where have they existed historically? Because we know this is not, and anybody who's looked into um, anything to do with the Egyptians or the Greek, know that the word mystery tradition is not unique to Wicca. So in preparation for this uh, episode, I was looking through Witchcraft Today by Gardner to see what mm -hmm. he had to say about it. And he mentions mystery traditions a lot, a lot. And it's always about historical uses of mystery traditions in regards to the Romans, the Greeks, Egyptians, so on and so forth. So a lot of the early context of how Wicca was being framed was being framed against the historic mystery traditions from that part of the world. Yeah, and I think those mystery traditions have given kind of background and flavor to what we see and what is practiced at the moment in in traditional Wicca or initiatory Wicca. Um, you know, as, as James said, Gardner wrote a lot about what a mystery tradition is. And, you know, Wicca has been described as a, as a magpie religion. And a lot of Wiccans will tell you that if it works and it's not appropriated, then maybe use it, you know. I think even in um, 
the most famous, obviously, in ancient Greek, we've talked about the Eleusinian mysteries, the Orphic mysteries, right? These are different kinds of traditions that we have some information about that people had to go through, like an experiential initiatory, right, in order to gain some kind of a knowledge. Um, but we see it too in like modern religions. So um, like in Catholicism, if anybody else grew up Catholic, there's a bit of the liturgy where the priest sings or says, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. And then everybody in church says like one of a number of statements. When I was growing up, what we said was Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And this is just like an example of explicitly stating the mystery that is the mystery at the center of like Catholicism and Christianity. But mm. it is obviously if you are Christian and like buy into this, a much more profound concept than that very simple three-part statement, right? So it's not like Wicca is the only religion running around to purport having a profound mystery that underpins what we do. You see it in uh, like Norse Scandinavian as well, pre-Christian Scandinavian um, beliefs. You see it in Iceland and some of those traditions, this idea of going under the cloak um, to learn mysteries, to divine, um, be shown to um, Features really prominently in some historical documents, the core science history at one. Um, and it's included in modern, um, not reconstructionist practice, but modern Northern Europe based practice. I think what we're saying really is that, again, Wicca doesn't have a monopoly on the word mystery tradition. But what do we mean from a from a Wiccan context, a Wiccan frame view of what, what, what do we mean when we talk about a mystery tradition within a Wiccan context? I think it talks about how we practice how we're experiential and that can be expanded upon a bit with when you look at our approach to orthopraxy versus orthodox i know we're going to talk about that more in a minute um being a natural based theology versus revealed theology and so on and so forth well all those are really just trying to put what we do as the wicca into context well that's what we mean we're trying to define and better understand who we are as the Wicca in such a way we can communicate it with others, although it's experiential. Yeah, I know we've we've spoken about that Gardner talks a lot about a mystery tradition. Um, you know, Gardner also talks about the fact that we are a reincarnation cult, cult small c. We're a reincarnation cult, a reincarnation cult where to know your love and to be accepted by your love, you need to be reincarnated. And I'm not saying that that is one of the mysteries but that could be a mystery for somebody. Well, looking at the Wicca and, and trying to define us, it's it's difficult because we're a lot of things all at once. Yes, we're a mystery tradition, but we're also very transgressive and pushing the boundaries of the individual is very similar to what you get in new religious movements where it's about, oh, self-actualization and better understanding. Well, the Wicca has that hallmark in our practice. Um, as you said, we are a re reincarnation cult, and we'll talk about that a bit. We're a fertility cult. We're very liminal. We're on the, the edges of the society. That comes with the nature of being witchcraft. But we're also a priesthood, but specifically a priesthood that practices magic. I think also, you know, not that we're certainly not a people of the book or anything like that, but obviously the charge of the goddess is a pretty, like, foundational piece of work for us you know and i i can't help but keep coming back to that idea if that which thou seekest thou findest not within thee thou shalt never find it without thee because 
that is also at the core of our mysteries, right? Is trying to seek the divine within ourselves as well as, and, and Dion Fortune talks about this as well, um, seeking the divine within yourself in order to connect to the divine external to yourself. And that's also part of the heart of, of what we're exploring as a mystery tradition through the experiences, right? Keeping coming back to that idea of experiential practice, right? That comes through the experience. I can say you find the divine in yourself, but until you've experienced that, well, or I guess we're ever striving towards, um, it doesn't really mean much. Right. And I know that we've spoken about this in the past as well, but I think it, it would be a good idea just to go over how we frame orthodoxy, you know, orthopraxy, orthodoxy being correct thinking versus orthodoxy being kind of correct practice. And again, the word experience comes in. We are, well, I think we are, we are more orthopraxic than an orthodoxic religion where it's all about the doing. Yes, you know, you can, you can know a lot, but unless you're doing it, you know, you're not doing Wicca. So it's all about the not the correct practice because again, every coven is individual and every initiate is individual, and we will all have our own individual ways of doing things. But it's about the doing, and that in and of itself, I think, is one of the greatest mysteries of Wicca, where we are actually in in the center of it. We are doing it. I think that's what's so frustrating when you see things like this blow up online. This is my first crack at the stuff that's happening online. Expect others. Um, is that it, it doesn't matter how well you argue a point online or how good your memes are or how many books you own or whether you once met whichever elder or whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you do. The magic's in the doing. Nothing else. Yes. There is a, a little piece to kind of keep in mind with this. I know we say that the Wicca is orthopraxis and we talk about the that means the right practice. I think that's a good way to frame it as a, a generalized overview statement. But if you start looking at the specific way the Wicca has manifested this, we are so diverse in practice that to actually define a specific practice how to it won't work. And there's a danger in it where if you're like, oh, this is the only way to do this, there will be exceptions to that rule across the Wicca. It's why I don't like the Alexandrian Gardnerian debate on what's the differences between the traditions is because every single thing you put on the list on either side, and you go, oh, Alexandrians do this, Gardnerians do that. There are exceptions within that same community. So I think it works well to help frame that we are more about the doing, but when you start getting into the specifics, what that doing is, it needs to be what your coven does and not the traditions as a whole, because memberships relates to the individual coven. And since we're all autonomous, it's very hard to define beyond that. I think now is a good time uh, just to remind listeners again to go back to the very beginning of each episode where we say we talk about the Alexandria tradition and how we practice within covens. Because, like James has just said it perfectly, we cannot um, we cannot pinpoint every single thing that is specific to every single coven because every single coven will do it a little bit differently. I think one of my one of the good things that, if anything good, can come out of this whole kerfuffle, and I guess that's kind of debatable, but um, a lot of elders and kin who are usually quiet are coming out of the woodwork or people who are very well spoken or very well who write very well are coming out of the woodwork and putting out a lot of information to counter the current arguments that people are making regarding 
how welcoming we are to all people within the Wicca. And as a result, I think there's, I've learned some stuff about the whole orthopraxic, orthodoxic um, conversation that I didn't realize because when I jumped into Wicca, it was on Amber and Jet on Yahoo, um, like below these many years ago, early, early aughts, I guess. Um, and that was already the phrase that people were using. And I think what I'm realizing is that people agreed as, as kind of like not talking about politics at the dinner table, people sort of agreed, okay, we're going to say that we're, as long as we're all doing the same thing, then we don't have to talk about what we believe. And that's how we're going to sort of keep peace. But not because that's like a hard and fast rule, but because that's what people could come up with to sort of make an agreement in terms of this is how we're going to just agree that we're all family, even though we're all feel very differently about things. And now we're seeing like, actually, there's a lot of weakness in the idea of like that we're orthopraxic as well. Right. And that, in fact, we are orthodoxic in certain ways. As somebody pointed out yesterday, like you can't be orthopraxic without having an orthodoxy of believing that the pra that the praxis is functional. Right. If if you don't, everybody doesn't believe that the ritual works. If we say in this case the initiation, right? If everybody doesn't have a an agreed belief that the magic of the initiation and what happens there works, then we're then we're then it doesn't work, right? And like when we talk about orthopraxy, really, what I feel like most people have agreed on is like, okay, well, we're orthopraxic in regards to the initiation ritual, and like we just keep sort of funneling it down, right? We're orthopraxic in regards to the initiation ritual as it comes to these few things, really. Um, and that's because I think like ultimately most of us want to cast this net really wide. Like we want to accept everybody of the Wicca who's doing something, who's who's downline of the New Forest Covens, who has one of the books, one of the versions of the books, right? Who is has similar beliefs to the way that we do about ritual and the functionality of ritual. Um, most of us, I think, want to include all those people in the Wicca. And it's only the people who are like looking to narrow the Wicca who I think are getting very hyper-focused on orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and so on. Right. Um, just to use our Marine Corps term there, I'm going to piggyback on what you said a little bit. And it, if you have, that's Army, that's Iraq, but if you have the family resemblances, then you're part of the the Wicca, really, when you start looking at the individual practices we do, is a collection of recipes that belong to great granddaddy Gardner and Alex and all of them um, that we know have changed. There are different versions of these things. When Auntie Doreen started scribbling in the margins and lining things out, the practice changed. Well, that has continued as the Wicca has innovated through the year. Well, look at what Dee said about Amber and Jet, the, the truce of Amber and Jet in the early, early aughts. Like, it's going to keep changing. Our history didn't only happen, you know, in the 50s and 60s. Our, our history is still being written. And I think that's one of the things about, about being in a young, youngish religion. You know, our, our very early history is there, but we are still writing history. We're still making history as we're still developing and practicing, you know. Um, what about what about talking really quickly about natural theology versus revealed theology? So it comes from religious studies. 
Yeah. There was an argument for the longest time where religious studies scholars with a Christian background were trying to explain what makes all them other religions different from them. And they came up with the terms of, oh, well, they're natural theology. They look at the world around them, them heathens, and they come up with from that their idea of salvation, yada, yada, yada. But really, it's that kind of hits it. You in one basket have revealed theology where someone has go, oh, here is the way. And in the other grouping, you have a group of people or religious foundation where you look at the world around you and through your experience, face your spirituality. And that's the difference between natural theology and revealed theology. Great. Thank you, James. Okay, we've kind of, I say, briefly discussed some of these points. <laughs> Let's get a little bit more into it about uh, different concepts of Wicca as a mystery tradition. So we've we've briefly discussed reincarnation cult. We've briefly discussed fertility cult. Let's have a look at the fertility cult for uh, a little bit more time. When we talk about a fertility cult within Wicca, we do not just mean making babies. We don't just mean that this is between one man, one woman. You know, you can have multiple men, multiple women if you really want to go there. You know, um, but it's also about renewal, growth, moving of the crops, the moving of the seasons. It's about change. It's not necessarily always about we're going to make babies. We're going to make new little witchlings into this coven, into this practice, into this whatever. You know, this is one of the things that has been thrown around recently within this whole debate about, oh, yes, but Wicca is, is a fertility cult. Not for everybody. You know, yes, for some people it is. And yes, for some people, that does mean making babies. But for lots of those initiates, it doesn't necessarily always just mean making babies. You know, if we look into, into history, into the past, when we relied on localised farming a lot more than we do now, it was about the growing of the crop. It was about collecting the harvest. It was about that harvest sustaining us throughout the winter periods mainly. You know, it is, it is all about renewal, growth. Somebody else jump in. <laughs> it's probably also worth pointing out this whole focus on baby making and your ability to procreate. I mean... A lot of those early priestesses and quite a few that have come before were childless, either by choice or by circumstance. Didn't make them any less of a priestess and their contribution to the tradition as a whole has been huge, invaluable. Um, there are plenty of non-binary priestesses and priesthood who choose to have kids, choose not to. It doesn't actually factor into your ability to do the thing. I think it's also worth noting how... Um... As you were just saying, Josie, in, in regards to like fertility as a focus on childbearing, that this was used as an excuse to exclude homosexual people for in the early craft um, as well, because they couldn't reproduce because, you know, they weren't engaging in heterosexual intercourse to actually have children and therefore they wouldn't count in like this, for, which obviously we have successfully seemed to move past that mentality for the most part. Um, yeah, I know. Hope springs it. Um, and it's also been used in a very like sort of historically, again, like very weirdly like eugenics way where people who had like certain kinds of disabilities uh, would not be encouraged to participate in Wicca. Um, and part of that also stemmed from this fertility idea. So it's not to be dismissive or say that the fertility idea is problematic. It's just to sort of show that 
if people get too hyper too hyper focused on a specific idea they can then use that to exclude people um because they're trying to fit like their own narrow view of what this of what fertility i think it's exasperated for a couple of reasons one we know for a fact gardner was homophobic like we know this it is well documented but i think it also has to do with er the early founders of Wicca believed we were a surviving cult from ancient times into the modern. And so they did their best to look at any little way we can tie the Wicca to existing remnants of that. And a lot of it came from folklore in parts of Europe, which is very agricultural based, will really have to do with, well, how do I get the crops to grow? And a lot of those practices hint at forms of fertility. Um, I think a lot of people are confusing the symbol for the thing, but I think it was exasperated in introducing a lot of additions based on this folklore. Yeah, I, I think I think the main problem with the with the term fertility cult is that people link the word fertility with just making babies and. I know we just spoke really briefly about how Gardner was homophobic. I also think that, and again, this is this is I think probably unfounded, but I I think obviously with homosexuality being still being illegal when Gardner was just kind of emerging from from the dark, I suppose. Um, I I, I think there's an element of Gardner also not wanting to link what he was doing with with gay people with homosexuals because it was still illegal at that time. And he wanted to give it to the masses. He wanted to bring it forward to the masses. And if he was associating himself with homosexuals, gay people, then that would have been one way, um, like kind of another stumbling block for Wicca to overcome. Um, so Jack Chenick, whose work I appreciate a normal human amount, um, put out a video recently about this whole idea of the fertility cult. Um, and one thing that really stuck with me from this, and we'll link it, in the notes um, was he talked about the early days of Wicca and this idea of like agricultural cycles and things like this. Like Gardner and the early Wiccans were not farmers. They were middle-class people. And again, and Jack kind of points this out in his video, like we can say this because we're Wiccan. Um, they were middle-class people kind of cosplaying as this pre-industrial agricultural kind of dream so a lot of the material that Gardner and others were referencing was written during the industrial revolution or just after it when we saw huge swathes of countryside go and we saw people leaving the countryside in droves to move to the cities and so this this pastoral life um became very romanticized as something that was lost and gone um so it's a very romanticized idea of farm life and agricultural life. It's not necessarily one that was ever especially accurate. As a gardener, I can confirm that your agricultural cycles don't always line up with the will of the year the way we want it to. I plant crops, what would be off season for the will of the year, but they're cold weather crops. Um, and that's just one example. I know I briefly talked about that previously, but it is romanticized it definitely is um i think also or alongside this idea of like fertility cults is um as we've been saying like their notions of fertility cult referencing agriculture 
Um, there are notions of fertility cults referencing like other aspects of fertility in our lives, right? Like growth. When we talk about fertility in our in Wicca, we mean like we want new initiates to make new covens. We don't mean we don't recruit by people giving birth to children, right? Um, so fertility can mean something totally different in that context. But a lot of people do get sort of focused on this, that a fertility cult and a sex cult are the same thing all the time. And specifically, not just sex for pleasure, but like sex as in penis and vagina sex. And we're going to like earn our explicit rating. Although, you know what? That's less explicit than a lot of other stuff that we've said. Anyway, so people tend to like lump those ideas in together. And part of that is, I think, a lack of imagination. Like they just can't expand an understanding of fertility beyond this like the beyond number one in terms of definitions in the dictionary right they don't bother looking at anything else in the list so it's not always that fertility doesn't mean sexual intercourse sometimes it does as we've said and jack chanick mentions that in his video as well he says that a lot of times references to fertility in some of these works is a way of talking about sex but like in a wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of way because of the time period, you couldn't explicitly write about sexual intercourse um, or fertility in that way, right? He also mentions um, something that Doreen said. And so we, in Witchcraft for Tomorrow, Doreen Valiente mentions that sexual rituals or orgiastic rites, as she says, could act as sympathetic magic that arouse the fertility of humans in concert with fertility of the earth. So that sex between two people in terms of human fertility could also then work on fertilizing the earth, but also too a much larger communion with, she says, communion with the profoundest forces of the cosmos. So uh, coming into this idea of like sex mimicking that sort of like overall male-female polarity that people get really hyper-focused on um, as like the creative, the ultimate creative force. Um, and so I think that's also worth noting is like why, why sex, P and B sex gets so lumped in or cishet sex gets so lumped in with fertility cults is because people sort of, and we're going to talk more about polarity later, but people sort of lump um, this idea of male-female polarity in with sex and in with fertility. And we have a lot to say about polarity and how like that's a trap and it's really narrow thinking and how it's like only one potential example. Um, but, you know, we know that fertility can exist outside of heterosexual sex. We know that fertility and creation can exist from only one organism, right? We know that organisms can reproduce asexually. Um, it's pretty cool stuff. We know that organisms can change their biological sex as needed based on the population or environmental conditions in order to reproduce. Um, there's a lot of aspects in magic where creation happens from the one, not from the two. And so there's a lot of conversations that can be had here, but people who lump in fertility cult with cisgender, heterosexual, male, female, procreative sex, of course, that's true. You can do that. That is part, that is a piece of that pie, but they're missing a lot of other aspects as well. Okay, so let's um, let's move on to maybe talking a little bit more about what we mean when we talk about a reincarnation cult. So we know that the word reincarnation means to be reborn. Um, we know that Gardner talks a lot about reincarnation in in Witchcraft Today. Lots of other Wiccan authors will talk about 
reincarnation and, and Wicca being or initiatory Wicca being a, a reincarnation cult. Um, shall we start off with a with a quote from from Gardner's Witchcraft Today? Sure. So if you go if you go through Witchcraft Today and the meaning of Witchcraft, there's probably a dozen times he talks about reincarnation in the context of the Wicca. Um, Witchcraft Today, there's two quotes and and I'll share them because it'll help make this more more sense as we go. One of them is, it would seem to involve an unending series of reincarnations, but I am told that in time you may become one of the mighty ones who are also called the mighty dead. To help make that make more sense, if you check out Philip Helston's book, In Search of the New Forest Coven, he talks about how the early group of witches that Gardner found, um, who we know their practice didn't really extend beyond them, but he did find a group of people. All believed that they had all been witches previously and together. And from there, it developed into the idea that witches are bound by the witch blood and you're likely to reincarnate together. So that's part of it. You become part of the past witches whom have now reincarnated with the mighty dead. Uh, Another quote by him, uh, it says, according to your merits, you may be reincarnated in time and take your chance where and among those whom this takes place. But the God has a special paradise for his worshipers who have conditioned their bodies and natures on earth, who enjoy special advantages and prepared more swiftly for reincarnation, which is done by the power of the goddess in such circumstances to ensure that you will be reborn in your own tribe again. This is taken nowadays to mean into witch circles. So you you read this, particularly that part of the book, he's talking about how the rite of initiation marks the witch in such a way that it prepares you to become one of the mighty dead so that you will continue to reincarnate amongst the Wicca. If that's not pointed at us being a reincarnation cult, I don't know what is. Um, but we're all Alexandrians, and I know those have been gardener centric. So I did a little bit of digging. If you pull out a copy of the Alexander's lectures, it's mentioned in there. And Alex says if the initiate remains true to his acquired knowledge, at death, he goes beyond the sun into the future. He has escaped from the glass castle of the season and is free to come and go as he desires. He need not incarnate for many cycles to come, but remains as one of the wise ones for the benefit of humanity. Yeah, so we've we've got two prominent people of of Wicca there talking about how reincarnation, Wicca is part of, of a reincarnation cult. And I just kind of want to go back to what Gardner says in Witchcraft Today, what he says, this is taken nowadays to mean into witch circles. We know that an initiation is a symbolic rebirth, it's a symbolic reincarnation. And, you know, just, just kind of linking those two together just kind of reinforces that, that Wicca, initiatory Wicca, is, is a reincarnation cult as well. Okay, so let's take at our next point then about Wicca being an initiatory cult, which kind of moves us on from a reincarnation cult. We know that when we are initiated, um, we are reincarnated. But what do we mean when we talk about Wicca being an initiatory cult, initiatory religion? I mean, we did a whole episode on this. So, like, 
go listen to that first so I don't have to repeat myself. Um, <laughs> but when I meet another initiate, I know that they uh, have been through the same process or deal ritual that I have. They've taken that same step into the unknown. I also know that they and I can probably work some pretty cool magic together if we work at it and we can do some things together that we wouldn't be able to do on our own when two initiates of any gender work together or run a coven they are creating something much bigger than the sum of their parts um they are reenacting i guess a mystery and again we've we've moved a long way from sex and baby making so much of what we do is reenacting this this idea of two powers coming together to create something much much larger um this whole idea of proper personhood and if you're not sure and not clear on that i would really recommend there's a whole episode that we did about that but an initiate is always should be a proper person properly prepared and when we talk about that there's no stipulation anywhere that says a proper person properly prepared and by the way they have to be cisgender um these caveats are being added later on by a very specific and niche group there's my second crack sorry every time you make a crack i desperately wish there was a way to like insert um the applause gif like, that's um, like the second time that you've made a crack and the second time I've been like ooh, can I, I just want to play a video right here <laughs> of like lots of um I just have a little side comment there are some initiates that define a proper person as nothing more than someone who's been initiated yep for sure in fact I know quite a few initiates who that's about all they have that's about all they stipulate um a lot of these other caveats as I said are being added on later on um, I think that's all I have to say here, actually. I think initiation gives us all that, that one point of reference. We know we are of the wicker because we have gone through similar um, initiation rites as everybody else within the wicker. And, you know, we are initiated as priesthood of the gods. That doesn't necessarily always mention gender. It might mention a priest or a priestess, but there are covens that are also being innovative in innovative 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 thank you language teacher to the rescue um and they are developing ways of practice in order that those who might feel excluded or who are trying to be excluded are less well i mean all who have a doubly welcome right exactly all all who have a doubly welcome what about what about quickly talking about um We've spoken about reincarnation so far and initiation and about um, fertility. But there's there's also, you know, I, I don't think we can talk about any of this without talking about about love and what that means within a within a within a Wiccan framework. You know, Wicca is is about love. It's about love of the magic, love of the gods, love of your covenants, love of the work of, of what we do, capital W, you know. There's, there's lots and lots of examples about how love is one of the central tenets of, of Wicca. And within that, one of our uh, dearest pieces of writing, The Charge of the Goddess, talks about love, where the goddess says, all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals. All acts of love and pleasure, not between a man or a woman, or just between a man and a woman, 
um, she talks about how all acts of love and pleasure are her rituals. Um, again, there's no stipulation. It's not all acts of love and pleasure are my rituals, by the way, with only these particular genitals. Right. Or that it's sex. Mm. Right. Yeah, when we talk about love and pleasure, there is an ecstasy that we get as initiates from working magic and from being in circle. That is a love. That is an adoration of the gods. We give them that energy so that they can live on as well. Now, there's definitely a piece that sees God or the gods as, as our beloved, right? In the charge, she also says, my love is poured out upon the earth. Not love for some people, not love if you this, but just my love is. Exactly. There is a lot that we can glean and learn from the charge and nowhere in the charge does it say oh yes and also you have to be cisgender or you have to be male or you have to be female or you have to be something else it is all about that love that is that is given to us from the gods but also i think we've also spoken about this but we're also not a religion of the book and again it comes back to that orthodox orthopraxy kind of what happens within each and everybody's circles um is valid whether that's done between two men two women, two people, whatever, or more. We are not a religion of the book. We are not people of the book where we are confined to. If you don't do this, then it's not initiatory wicker. It's not wicker that you're practicing, where actually, who knows what goes on in other people's circles? Because the real answer there is the people that were in that circle. So I'm going to walk backwards for a second because I had a thought on love. I don't know if everyone else does this, but in ritual, towards the end of it, as we're wrapping up, the last thing most of the covens I've been involved with do is there's a song that is sung that talks about the love of the goddess. And I think this is important because when you start thinking about ritual as ritual drama being an act of creation and a microcosm of the macrocosm and a reflection of the dance of life, the last thing where it passes into the silence of nothing or before you die is just the love of the goddess. Now, people of the book, no, we're not, not us. So although we're pointing at lots of pieces of lore and scripture and things, none of that's dogmatic. I think it's tied up in some people. Oh, this could be a third crack. I think it's tied up in some people's uh, kind of misguided idea about what religion is and, and seeing this definition is of religion as through a very kind of Christocentric kind of view and you have this this religious text that you that you follow. Nah, that's not us, man. Religious scholars can't even agree upon a definition of what religion is to the point that religion is often so broadly defined that it includes like sports fandoms in when you start looking at the specifics. So to that's start trying to define the Wicca in concrete terms is futile because we can't even tell you what religion is. So interesting. I learned so much from you, James. I think as well it would be nice to talk about um, the other mysteries that are not necessarily uh, central to Wicca, but other mysteries where we talk about personal mysteries that we have within Circle, kind of like aha, Eureka moments. You know, there are mysteries that as Wiccans we will experience that are very personal to us that are not necessarily shared by the whole of the coven. You know, that could be uh, that could be a mystery which is given to us from the goddess or the god or the gods when they have been 
um, invoked or, or drawn down and the gods or the goddess and the god gives us a message, a personal message. You know, there are many, many mysteries that are also just personal between the gods and an initiate. There are mysteries as well that include those mysteries where they are just experienced. They are things that cannot be spoken about because sometimes we just don't have the words to talk about that mystery. And sometimes that can be quite frustrating. But at the same time, that in itself, I think is really important that not necessarily everything is always shared all the time. And the, the fact is that, again, going back to what a mystery tradition is, we are not just the only mystery tradition. There are other religions that are mystery traditions. You know, I, I know earlier we spoke about the um, Eleusian mysteries. You know, we got the uh, Dionysian mysteries as well. There are lots and lots of religions that use um, a mystery tradition. The Egyptians, the Greeks, the Romans were all part of that overarching, we are also mystery traditions. I want to go back just a second to what we were saying about like personal and life mysteries. And I think like this is where religion, one of the places that most religions become mystery traditions, right? Like we all go through experiences in life that are, that profoundly impact us, right? Um, people who go through childbirth often will say like it was an experience. Some people have an experience like that is inexplicable, that they had like felt more in connection with their physical body than they ever did, or that they, it was transcendental in some way. Um, for some people, religion works to help expand those mysteries or provide some explanation or additional background context for those mysteries, right? Loss is another like personal mystery or life mystery that we go through where we lose people or um, it doesn't even have to be people, not things, but things in our life that we lose or people in our life that we lose going through that loss, going through the process of grief. Grief is a personal mystery that can have profound changes on people. And again, religion, including Wicca, can offer context for those mysteries and help to sort of shape those mysteries for us or to add meaning to those things. Um, instead of us sort of walking somewhat blindly through them, we have some spiritual context to sort of put it Um Again, not to keep referencing back to Catholicism, but aside from Wicca, that's the religion I know best. You know, like marriage is a sacrament in in Catholicism. Marriage, I think, is also like a life mystery. Like figuring out how to join your life with another human being seems like a very important mystery to learn. Or becoming initiated, like becoming a priest, is also one of those life mysteries that has a, aside from changing your role within Wicca, has a profound change on you, a human being that you need to sort of make sense of. Um, and those all, I think, link into these like ineffable things. You can't explain them or you can try, but they're ultimately they're inner. Okay. And to kind of wrap up or just before we wrap up even, um, we've kind of skirted along the word polarity and where does polarity fit in within a mystery tradition and Wicca? Um, we're also just going to leave you that and we're going to leave that there dangling the carrot in front of you um you're going to need to listen to our next episode in order to find out what we think um about polarity and how polarity fits in within wicca traditional initiatory wicca that is um we've spoken about a lot of things today um i'm also gonna have to go back and re-listen as i always do on every episode i just want to say because i think we've all agreed that it's really important for people to speak out about these conversations that are happening in the community. And like Josie got some really solid zingers in today, but a lot of it 
we've only sort of skirted around this conversation. And that's, again, as we said in the beginning, because we're trying to provide context for where this, where this absurdity is coming. And so if you didn't hear us be extremely explicit um, in some of our thinking today, I assure you it's coming in the next episode. It's just that we're trying to give some, some context for seekers and listeners from different backgrounds. Um, but for the record, we think all of this conversation about whether or not transgender people are welcome in the craft is bullshit. Obviously, transgender and non-binary people, like all people, are welcome in the craft. The end. Exactly. Thank you, G. So just a bit of a recap. So today we've talked about mystery traditions and what a mystery tradition is from a Wiccan framework, from a Wiccan point of view. We've talked about Wicca, traditional initiatory Wicca, being a fertility cult, a reincarnation cult, and an initiatory cult, but also a cult of love. We have spoken about central mysteries and personal mysteries, what the differences between different types of fertility, and that it's not just about making babies, and that Wicca is open to all, as the goddess decrees that all acts of love and pleasure are her rituals. Just a closing thought there, Maxine Sanders in her book, Fire Child, um, talks about the fact that times, opinions, laws change. And we are not necessarily still practicing the wicker that Gardner put forward from the 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever. You know, things change. If we don't change, we stagnate. And I know that James uh, spoke a lot about this in previous episodes. It is your task, listeners and seekers, to find that episode because I don't have it off the top of my head. Um, for that quote, it is on page 191. And Maxine earlier on in her book talks about same book fire child page 113 she says that 40 odd years ago all that was important was your knowledge and passwords and the ability to work within a circle she says that she believes that we return in full circle and will remain and will return sorry to those attitudes today the people of the craft are more prepared to trust and share knowledge and this is quite different from those early days when secrecy was a thin veneer to cover ego and manipulation so with that everybody we thank you for listening as a reminder you can find us on instagram and facebook as circle talk for witches that's four is the number four on twitter as circle four witches again the number four or you can email us at circle talk for witches at gmail.com if you have any questions queries thoughts or ideas for future discussions please do get in touch we'd love to hear from you drop a post in, in our Facebook page, you know, email us, contact us with anything. From all of us here at Circle Talk, merry meet, merry part, and merry meet again.